We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. You can also check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you will find archived shows. And as well, you can ask a question via their listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. All right, financial planning from beginning to end. Is this a lifelong uh, process, obviously? You know, you know you're in the business long enough when you've seen somebody go from a retirement, yeah. just pre-retirement, to now they've passed away. Yeah. And Andy and I have both been in the business now a little over 30, uh, 31 years for me, and I guess mm-hmm. you're 31 or 33. 33. 33, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, time flies by. Yeah. And it was interesting. Um, unfortunately, one of my clients did pass away last week. And I went back and I just checked through the, the file and I went back to the original plan, the absolutely first one. Now, kind of funny, first of all, look at the original plan from 1991. Is that pen and paper or what? No, no, we, it wasn't even typewriter. This was high tech. Typewriter. I had a dot matrix printer. Nice. Wow. Yeah, nice. for those people who remember those things. And oh, with the perforations see, on the, the side? Perforations or, yeah, on the side, you can actually see the edging still. Okay. <laughs> from where I had to pull off the side, but uh, yeah, I was high tech at the time and and it was interesting. You know, you take a look at this client and this is a person who just retired from DeFasco. So mm-hmm. this would probably be similar to, you know, possibly a lot of the listeners out there now. Mm-hmm. And I, I ref- got referred to them from a referral, from another referral. It was like a fourth generation over right. over the last six years. And I, I was 20, it was 26 years ago, so I was 28 at the time. So for somebody at that age, and there's, call it, uh, Oh, 65 mm-hmm. and uh, trusting a 28-year-old. Yeah. You know, that's a bit of a leap of faith. Sure. And, you know, you're dealing with the banks. Mm-hmm. And the banks at that time were paying pretty darn close to 10% interest rates. Mm-hmm. He did have some money. So his situation back then, he had a house. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess, I, I couldn't find the original, what we call personal financial review. But I'm going to guess it was around $120,000 back then. Mm-hmm. Okay. He had non-registered investments. $90,000, and they're all in GICs. And they're paying in that 8% to 9%, maybe even a couple of 10 percenters that have hung in there. Um, but unfortunately, all that interest was taxable because mm-hmm. outside of his RSP. Yeah. And in his RSP, because of the DeFasco money, and this is very common for all the DeFasco retirees, they have most of their money in that, and it worked out to he had $410,000 in his RSP mm-hmm. because of working to FASCO for so many years, they rolled it over to the RSP and now he had to live on, live on that. So overall he had a net worth of about $620,000. So I walk in there and I, I, and I, ch- I remember this very distinctly. It was their house, uh, since then, they had the original house, they mm-hmm. moved to a smaller house and then eventually a retirement home mm-hmm. and unfortunately he just passed away. So. You go back in time and you think, okay, what could I do to help this person? Well, back then my recommendations were, and this would stand today. Mm-hmm. Nothing would change at all. We would, you see this all the time where I find people very safe with their non-registered money. So it's earning interest. And today's interest rates are very low. They're not mm-hmm. earning what they were back then. And it's all taxable. Mm-hmm. They have all their risky investments, or call risky, but equity investments, if you will. So he had some individual stocks with a stockbroker. And he, so in his RSP, he had 290,000 in GICs and about $120,000 in mutual funds and equities in a, f- in a few stocks. But there's no benefit of having those equity investments in the RSPs. Um, you don't get any dividend tax credit on the dividends you earn because it's in the RSP. And 
the capital gains doesn't apply to the RSP. It's just treated as income when you pull it out. So first thing I suggested was they do a tax switch and they move their hundred and their open money to things that earn dividends and make their RSPs. If they want to stay in the exact same kind of risk tolerance, have all their RSPs and things that pay interest. And so therefore you're in the exact same situation, but you're going to save the tax. Yeah. Well, funny enough, that was his biggest goal. He hated paying tax. And yeah. that's not a, that's a pretty common one for that matter. But anyway, um, he absolutely, you know, that was his number one goal from start till even now, right to the very bitter end, try to save tax. But you had to always look at this first is save tax, but with the greater eye of looking at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Don't get into tax schemes that you can save tax, but you'd lose money. Yeah. Okay. So smart financial planning. And so that was number one goal. Second goal was to invest wisely, to beat inflation after tax and had a better, he wanted a better understanding of how investments worked because mm-hmm. he felt that he really didn't understand it. Um, and he just want, not that he would change anything. He just wanted a better understanding. Mm-hmm. So those were his two major goals. So in total and his, Overall, his net worth was $620,000. So over the years, we did that dividend switch. Well, with so much money sitting in their RSPs, I can only imagine what it would be worth today. Mm. Um, because, you know, let's say you're 65 and you don't have to take any money out of your RIF until you're 71. So a lot of people will kind of just dribble away as little as possible because they don't want to pay the tax. Yeah. Well, we said the opposite. So let's pull out, strategically pull money out of the RSP pay tax at a low rate because you never know what the tax rates will be upon y- your death yeah. because you do have to pay tax on this money down the road. And it, as it turned out, it'd be 26 years later. So we strategically pulled money out and we tried to move more into non-registered. And uh, it worked out so well that he made more money in the non-registered. He actually got his dream goal, which was a Cadillac. That's nice. Yeah, it was fantastic. He absolutely, he had that rate too. He lost his license. Yeah, that was yeah. his absolute dream car. Yeah. So we we built up enough funds there that he, he bought himself a Cadillac from the non-registered money. So over the years, um, we were doing income splitting with their uh, with him and his spouse. And the other side of it is, you know, th- when it comes to income splitting, the income splitting hadn't been invented for the pension credit yet. But what there was was a Canada pension plan. You could split that. So with a stay-at-home mom, so to speak, we made sure that they got their Canada pension plan split. And so that the, you know, the wife in this case, um, she would have some income. Mm-hmm. We also made sure that the, the income from the non-registered, some of it qualified for the capital gains exemption that still was around until 1994. Mm. So they got to claim a little bit of that. Um, not, a, not a big deal because we didn't have a lot of years to work with it, but we got to get some tax-free money using capital gains and dividends at the time. And we're able to move money into his wife's name. Um, And what what, what this was called, it's called a one plus one, where we took the income from his non-registered investments and we moved it all to his wife's name, who didn't have much of an income. And it was a big deal to income split because like I said, there was no pension splitting at the time. So you're trying everything to move more money into in, in stay-at-home white stay-at-home mom's name at this time. Okay, so we we did this. We um, over the years we uh, maxed out their tax-free savings accounts. So when his wife did pass away, um, 
she, they got a tax-free rollover of all of her tax-free savings accounts moved over to him. Mm-hmm. Okay, and a lot of people don't realize the benefit of that. That's one of the bigger benefits is always maximizing that because it's almost like a life insurance policy. Because once once you pass away, the survivor, in this case the husband, got to inherit all that money right into his TFSA. Mm-hmm. So when he passed away, his TFSA was not only what he contributed, which was his fifty-two thousand we maxed out this year, plus his wife's, mm-hmm. what that got rolled over. So at the time of death, his tax-free savings account was worth $110,000, okay, which is just a, a fantastic estate tool. Absolutely fantastic because he had all the growth, probably in the neighborhood of about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 growth in the tax-free savings account. So that was tax-free. But now it's got a direct beneficiary to his kids and again, it goes it goes there without probate and no tax. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so maxing. Sorry. Just curious because I was thinking, uh, so many people are when they reach that age, and and even in the years leading up to that transition into like a retirement home, etc., they mm-hmm. begin to think about gifting. I'm wondering, did they ever, did they ever consider gifting uh, while they were alive? Yeah, great, great question, Andy. In fact, uh, that was something we did every year. Okay, every year they uh, they we would make a substantial gift to their two daughters okay and made sure that uh they would it was like also we actually added to their daughter's tax-free savings accounts so that also taught them Mm -hmm. to save and let them have more money growing tax-free so not only did they maximize theirs they they gave money and they and the kids got to max out their tax you know it's neat when you think about that going into the tfsa for the adult children it's uh tf we've always complained that tfsa's aren't as sticky you Mm -hmm. know the money Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the the car breaks down and it's easy to dip into it it's tax-free but i think when it comes from a gift as a parent even though as a parent you know you kind of have to write it off as in, in terms of i don't have any expectations as to what's going to happen with the money but when it goes into that tfsa as a gift and maybe even a separate TFSA, then I think a lot of times it actually gets left just yeah. out of respect for what the mm-hmm. parents have done in terms of helping them. You want to and do it makes it a little stickier. It, it yeah. makes it yeah. definitely a little stickier. Let me ask you this question. Um, where do people have to be? And you may you may have an example with this example or, or, or other clients, but where do people have to be from a psychological standpoint where they think, okay, I have enough, I'm going to start gifting some. Because to me, it would be, I'm not gifting anything because I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know what it's going to, you know, I'm just yeah. going to keep the big pile of sugar until I'm gone and then you can disperse and it. Absolutely, Scott. So how do, how do you make the, how do they come to the conclusion that, yeah, I can let some of it go now? Well, it always comes down to doing a cash flow analysis. And when we do a financial plan, we go over every bill, mm-hmm. everything from groceries to clothes to their to their cable bill, mm-hmm. which became a sell bill to, you know, all the way through, including gifts. Yeah. And you, and then you say, okay, can you, you know, based on a, a decent rate of return on your money, which we forecasted at about four and a half percent, could we gift money? Yeah. And I said, you won't be running out of money. So we, we went through this every year to make sure they were on side and they could afford to gift money. Now, during the 08, 09 crisis. Yeah. Um, this is probably not a good time to pull more money out of their investments yeah. because, you know, things had already dropped. But during other times when there was very good years, we then more, more than made up for it mm-hmm. by putting more money in. So, no, the, the gifting was actually part of it. And what's the advantage to them from a financial perspective to gift it to their kids now? Well, they, Do they save tax? They do. Uh, first of all, they don't have to pay probate tax. Right. Okay, so there's that 1.5% on probate tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
Yeah, there's not necessarily too much in tax savings but gifting it because they would, but again, there's more state tax because had they left it in there, say non-registered, it would have kept growing right. and building even a larger estate. And again, the problem with the states is that anything over $220,000 of income in the final year yeah. is taxed at 53.5%. Yeah. So you get the Stefasco retiree who has done all the things right and anything, you know, and then, and, you know, if you had saved all that money in your RSPs and eventually RIFs and then passed away, you could have 400000 500000 in a RIF. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I'll, I'll finish off the story after the break to show you what actually happened and how much money we saved. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call and leave a message now at 905-529-7165. You can hear old archive shows and ask a question on their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about financial planning from beginning to end here. Yes, and in this situation, as I said, you know, you get your DeFasco worker generally geared back at that time and still to this day to a certain extent to go to SAFE. And what uh-huh. the idea of SAFE was back then was go GICs. Uh-huh. And just to speak to somebody from DeFasco, because, you know, they, they pretty much just said, I'm going to this bank and I'm putting my money in GICs. And they were very pretty much... I would say almost brainwashed to the extent yeah. that GICs are the way to go. And for somebody to give uh, somebody a chance to speak to them and give them alternative ideas that have, a, that have been proven to beat inflation over the years, you know, it's a bit of a leap of faith, especially to a 28-year-old. Now, I have to, have to look at this one step further. If you look at how DeFasco had invested their money all those years, they had about 50% in stocks and 50% in things that paid interest. Mm-hmm. And so... Why should that change when you're going to probably spend almost as much time working as you do in retirement? Mm-hmm. So retirement is a long-term goal, and you should invest for the long term because the biggest, the biggest risk is longevity. I know Andy and I have talked about that a number of times on the show, and inflation. Yet so many retirees, they want to go safe because that's what they've been told. And what happens is they start whittling away their money because the returns aren't high enough. Mm-hmm. So to continue on this story... This person, unfortunately, he passes away, had a great life, did the things he wanted to do, gifted money, as we said, to his daughters, um, helped them, you know, start their financial plans. And by the way, not only the daughter, one of the daughters is a client, but also one of the grandkids is a client. Oh, cool. So you got multiple generations now, and this, which is, again, very common because it's, it's nice to go generational planning so that everybody's on the same page. But here we are, fast forward it 26 years later, he passes away and he's got 110000 in a TFSA, as I mentioned, no tax consequence at all. He's got 390000 in non-registered investments, in which case there was about a $100,000 capital gain. So you do have to pay tax on half the capital gain. And we had taken out monies along the way and paid little bits of tax strategically so that he wouldn't lose his old age security. So he always got his old age security. Unfortunately, his wife passed away a few years back. And, uh, but we were still able to keep his old age security because we kept his income under that $74,000 threshold. Mm-hmm. And his RIF that started out at 410000 was now down to one hundred ninety, Because again, same idea of pulling money out strategically and not waiting to the last possible second. So at the end of the day, 
you look at this and said, I worked out his tax bill approximately. His tax bill would be approximately $105,000 on this um, For on the this estate? estate. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and they had sold the house earlier on? Yes, they had to sell. They moved once, sold the house, and, and downsized, and they, and, they got, and they sold the house. So their net worth at the start was 620000 Their estate at the end was 690000 mm-hmm. including taking money yeah. all the way out to live on, including the old age home, if you will, including gifts to the kids. And they still had start, ended up with more money than they started. Wow. And you look at this tax bill and you say, wow, 105000 that's terrible. Well, had we have not dri- kind of dripped away the riff over the years and worked out it that way, the riff would have been probably double that amount and the tax bill would have been 100000 more. So instead of being 105,000, it would have been 205,000. So we saved at least $100,000 in taxes, which was his main goal going back to the time I met him. And so he, he, he got that goal he, he, and, and his portfolio changed dramatically. He was at the time when we first got together, um, 80% in fixed income and 20% equity. By the time he passed away, it was actually 72% equity, 28% fixed income. So he actually did almost a 100% switch. Yeah. And the reason is, is because once you get to a certain stage, you got to protect against inflation. And also, you realize it's not, you're not going to spend the money. Yeah. It's going to your estate. Mm-hmm. So why not create a bigger estate? Because you don't know how long you're going to live. Yeah. Create a bigger estate. And also, there's a heck of a lot less tax on an annual basis if you're in capital gains and dividends. So he ended up having a fantastic life. I was just ha- so happy to... Uh, you know, not only know this person, became a great friend. And at the end of the day, after going through his file, it was kind of, you know, it's nice to kind of reminisce yeah. through the day we first met, accomplishing all his goals. And he ended up passing on to the next, passing on to the next stage, I guess, with more money than when I met him. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting because you met those people right at the at the point at which they were retiring. Correct. And uh, and of course, the majority of the retirement savings had built up at work through yeah, through their employer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and today we and we've talked about this over the course of the, the the show over the years, but just how much that has changed in recent years. And yeah. it's more so, it's it's less likely that your employer is going to be looking after you, and more likely that you're going to have to be looking after yourself in terms mm-hmm. of retirement and building up that pool of money for retirement. And um, we were just, I was looking at some information I thought was fascinating, but it was the six things that married couples should talk about when planning for retirement. And, and it's pretty common, I think, about even in our circle of friends, people in their 50s or people in their 60s, when they're getting together or even just as a couple, you're often talking about your kids and what your kids are doing and what's happening for, are, are they going to be okay, you know, all of that. Or maybe you're beginning to think about or you're spending time with grandchildren. And if it's not your kids or your grandchildren you're talking about, it's probably the next vacation that's coming up or maybe a project around the house. And so often uh, the picture of retirement kind of gets left off and it's something that people don't talk about often enough and 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 what happens in a lot of homes is that you can see that either one person is very much into the whole financial the numbers the analysis of it or even the uh, you know or and the other person isn't or you get a couple two people that aren't into it but one person ends up taking on some role in terms of paying bills and, and looking after that basic, the basic finances of the household every day and every month. Uh, and so 
money and retirement just seems like a distant and far off thing in many ways. And at the same time, people may begin as you start to think about it. Now I drive my wife crazy talking about it because she doesn't want to think about it all the time and talk about numbers and all of that. Plus she must have uh, a, a nice secure feeling knowing you have it handled. <laughs> there is, <laughs> there is a handle. About. She, she kind of often does that, throws it back yeah. to me. Look, I trust you. You've yeah. been doing this for a long You're time. The Take it over. Um, but you know what, the, what I found and I've often thrown this back to her is I've said, you know, even though I'm in the business and I understand and I've looked and I can analyze all that, I still have to kind of know what is it you visualize yeah. for retirement. Objective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because, and, and if, and the dis- retirement decisions, if they're all on one person's shoulders in terms of the, the, the processing, the analyzing and all of that, it's a lot of weight and it's a lot of um, responsibility yeah. because the other person's just assuming it's going to happen. And the other, the other spouse is uh, having to kind of do all the grunt work behind the scene to make sure it does happen. And they're putting a lot of faith and a lot of trust. God forbid something goes wrong because you know it's, <laughs> it's going to be, I thought yeah, you had this worked exactly, out, right? Yeah. What the heck's going on? Um, so, I mean, the first place to start is really understanding what does retirement mean to you? So number one discussion point, honey, what does retirement mean to you? And <laughs> shut up. And just wait and see what happens. See what they say. Because it could take a long time though before any of the chalk really got to financial though. <laughs> Sleeping in, uh, doing this. That's doing okay. That, yeah. Doesn't that's the that's the whole point. Yeah. We don't even need it to be financial because yeah. um, you know, and I've had lots of couples that are retired now and and I don't know how much they had these conversations prior to retiring, but we'll be sitting down and we have the same conversation every time. Yeah. I'll say to them, listen, we budgeted, you know, $8,000 for your travel and vacation this year. What are you guys planning to do? And she'll say, well, I can't get him to fly. He won't, doesn't want to travel anymore. He just doesn't want, you know, or, yeah. or, or vice versa. Yeah. She doesn't want to go anymore. She wants to, the grandkids are around. She doesn't want to leave because the grandkids are here. So you end up with spouses. One spouse wants to travel yeah. and see everything. And the other spouse is more interested in staying at home. Yeah. I've been looking forward to working on my garden. I've been looking yeah. forward to yes. spending time with the grandkids. I've been, I don't want to do all that. You're, you're driving me crazy with all this traveling. And so the money builds up and it doesn't get used. So that's one, one big area where we see basically those goals about, and, but really what you have to come to is a compromise. And so what I force them to do is I say, listen, if you're not going to, you know, do the big trips or, you know, plan for anything, then do something more regularly, but small trips, Yeah. right? Yeah. And they don't have to be out of the country if you don't want to be out of the mm-hmm. country, or they could be, you know, visit Canada, yeah. <laughs> take a yeah. trip across the country. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that onerous and, uh, or get in your car and go someplace, yeah. but get away, mm-hmm. do something. Uh, and you can often involve the, the grandkids in that. So let's yeah. say you decide, you know what, we're going to rent a cottage yeah. or we're going to rent a vacation property or yeah. we're going to motor home, a mo- mm-hmm. <laughs> motor home. We're going to take the family with, we're yeah. going to do camping, you know, it yeah. could be anything. We're going to take the grandkids with us. Um, or we're going to arrange for, you know, a multiple cottage location where everybody can come together for a week and mm-hmm. we're all vacationing together. So really kind of getting a handle on what does that mean? I mean, it might evolve and health and everything else is going to make a big difference along that way too. I, I find the camping one will evolve quickly. <laughs> that one disappears. <laughs> All right, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how we arrived at the, inc- the conclusion we just want to stay home. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of work. <laughs> this has got to be simpler. Um, number two is at what age do you plan to retire? 
And boy, there's a lot of trepidation around this. So we have, you know, a spouse that's at home, perhaps they've already retired. And the thought of their other spouse being around them now 24 Mm seven every day is, is really kind of unnerving. How is this going to work out? Are we going to get along? Is this going to be, you know, are we going to be separated in 12 months? Is this going to drive us crazy? Can we actually be on our own together? I think that if you've had children, the empty nest phase is a sort of a test to understand whether that's, you're compatible and, and working out some of those nuances. Uh, but certainly retirement is, uh, is a whole nother level because (laughs) you are, (laughs) you're there day in and day out with each other in many ways. So So it's kind of the junior leagues and then you get to the major leagues. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, a study from 2011 by Fidelity Investments found that 62% of couples, 62% didn't agree on the appropriate retirement age. So somebody thought, you know what, Uh, I'm worried about money. I think, you know, you should keep working past age 65. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like we have enough. Uh, Somebody else might be saying, you know, I'm so stressed out at work. I can't wait to get out of work. I've got to get out. And again, the other one, you know, if we both retired, we're going to be staring at each other. Mm -hmm. How's that going to work out? That's odd too, because I know people where one is retired and the other one's not. And that sort of uh, Mm -hmm. offsets the house because one still is on a routine and the other one's at a different point in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, in my own conversations, I've talked about that too. There's no point in one of us being retired and really if, if, if you sort of want to do things like travel and do other activities that, Mm -hmm. that involve time off, uh, you're having to get away from work to do those things, then maybe that's not going to work out. If somebody's Mm -hmm. still working full time, you're, you know, now you're under pressure to try and get out of your job or take, uh, take more holidays or et cetera. And so, uh, that can backfire as well. Number three, and I know this is where we come in in many ways, but the question is, how much money do we have and where is it? And, you know, this is the basic net worth statement. This is what we own and this is what we owe is just a really great snapshot to mm-hmm. sort of be able to summarize all the things that all your financial assets and the things that you're going to be relying on in terms of retirement. And to, for each of you to look at that document and, and kind of go through it and understand this is what we have. This, this is the money we have available for retirement. This is the money we have earmarked for various things going forward as well. So the net worth statement is fantastic. The second part of that is meeting with your financial advisor and having annual meetings to review that and where you are. And often I'll have uh, a client will kind of try and pull a number. Well, I'm just coming in myself. My spouse doesn't, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not as interested in this. So I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'll come in and I'll meet with you. And that's from time to time, depending on what the topic is we're covering, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But Majority of time, like 90% of the time, I need to have both of you face to face. Even if your spouse feels like they're going to glaze over after a little Mm -hmm. while, I'm going to make sure that at least they've looked at the net worth statement. They understand where we are in terms of on track or or not on track for retirement, et cetera. But it's important because if something happens to you, if you're the person who's in charge of all this and now it all falls into their hands, I don't want them starting from ground zero. That's, that's the key. Um, so understanding and having that discussion about where your money is, how much do you have, and uh, and you both have to be involved in that process for mm-hmm. sure. Number four is what is your idea of risk? And risk is means different things to different people. Um, 
And a lot of times risk sort of as a definition, somebody will say, well, if I invested $10,000 and I came back a year later and it was worth zero, then that's my idea of risk. I've, I've lost my money. And in my world, in our world, that Verdon and I deal, it, it's, we, we don't deal with investments that have that kind of risk. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about are investments that are $10,000 invested, but we come back a year later and maybe it's worth 8000 There was a drop in the market, the economy turned or tanked, a recession ha- hit, um, some uh, crisis happened, a terrorist attack, and, and there was a reaction. So the value of your investment dropped. And so the risk is about volatility. How much could it fluctuate or how much could it change in value? Now, do you think couples have the same risk tolerance? No. No. Never. <laughs> and statistically, statistically, women tend to be more risk averse than men, but sometimes it's the other way around. In fact, I just met with a couple last week and consistently for the last decade and he, now here's the difference though. He's 70. And she's 55. Yeah. So he's, but he's always been. That's why he married Conservative. <laughs> he's always been conservative. Yeah. So on a scale of one to five, he's been like a one or a two, mm-hmm. but she's been a three or a four mm-hmm. all the way along. Now, again, part of that was just discussion and education about being younger and needing to, uh, you can, uh, uh, take on a little more yeah. volatility, but, um, uh, you know, when, if one, if your spouse dies and you inherit those investments, suddenly you're looking at it thinking, oh my gosh, look at the risk that we were taking. I didn't right. understand that, that. I never would have been comfortable with that. So it's important that you each understand what your risk profiles are and how much risk you're willing to take. So I got a couple more to cover when we come back on number five and number six. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. And also check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there or even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, we're talking about six things married couples should be talking about. Yeah, so just a quick review. Number one was, what does retirement mean to each of you? Was mm-hmm. it travel? Is it staying at home? What does that mean to you? Number two is, at what age do you plan to retire? Make sure we're on track for everybody knows what, what date, that's the due, the due date. And number three is, how much money do we have and where is it? And number four is a discussion about risk. And number five is what happens to your income when one dies? Mm. So, you know, it's funny how people will discuss, whenever I bring this subject up, I say, don't talk about it. I don't, oh, don't talk about it. Yeah. Because some people don't want to talk about people dying. Yeah. And I say, listen, it's, I think if you, the, my theory is that the more you actually talk about it and you understand it and are prepared for it, yeah. the less likely it's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless you it's, fear it. yeah, the less you fear it, number one, because you understand that there, A, there's nothing to fear. Um, B, basically, you kind of got it out there and everybody kind of knows what the game plan is going to be. But um, so in, in doing a financial plan for individual, for couples, I should say, both Don and I will do a stress test where we will kill you off, mm-hmm. see what happens. And what that tells us is the survivor income 
what percentage uh, of success is the plan continuing in terms of providing income? I think the biggest mistake that couples will make is they'll assume that their costs are cut in half. So yeah, they might look right. at it and think, oh, well, if we're spending sixty grand, 5000 a month now, it's only going to cost us 2500 a month if one of us dies. And the reality is it's probably more like 75 to 90% of your in- expenses continue on yeah. after the death of one person. Absolutely. And then some of the other income streams, a lot of them forget about um, things such as the old age security yeah. stops for this, you know, the one that deceased. And often you don't get as much Canada pension plan as a lot of people realize, depending on on what the survivor mm-hmm. spouse did. And then things such as workers comp, if you got that, that stops too. So there's a lot of the pensions, you really have to understand what income stream are you going to get? And of course, what are the expenses? Absolutely. Be? Because, uh, yeah, just in sitting, I was talking with a couple the other day and and a friend, a friend of theirs, one person had passed away suddenly at age six, uh, 58, and they were wondering, does their spouse get the CPP survivor benefit? Because they had never started taking it. So right. in other words, it's not like I'm getting something, a percentage of something they were already getting. Right. He never actually had applied for it yet because he was still working. And of course, the answer is yes, but just certain uncertainties mm-hmm. like that, that, uh, that mm-hmm. people don't know about, understanding your pensions are key. Uh, number six and the final one is, and, and Don, we sort of talking about this at the beginning of the show, but are you going to leave money to your kids? And if so, how much? Um, and I think that that's, that's an important discussion because boy, we've got clients at all ends of the spectrum. I have clients that are willing to sacrifice their retirement lifestyle in order to leave as large an estate as possible. So their focus is tell me how I can build this. Tell me how to minimize tax at death. We want to leave a lot at the uh, at the end. And those aren't the <clears> ones that say, I'm spending my wife's inheritance bumper sticker? Yeah, no, that's that true. <laughs> those are the different ones. Uh, okay. <laughs> and um, so probate comes into play here, obviously, in terms of what how much tax is going to be paid, income tax, probate tax. The probate, probate tax is the little tax, income tax, the uh, death is the big tax. But, um, you know, the, the key thing is, is that your tax, tax is going to eat away at your legacy, but you need to both be kind of on the same page. Are we planning to build our estate for our kids or are we planning to spend our money in the old proverbial, you know, if the last check I wrote bounces, I'll be perfectly happy and I die the next day. So, um, and that's tough and it's too, and too often we find people are under living. They're they're resisting or holding back in terms of doing things they might like to do or otherwise could do in for fear that they, A, they don't have enough. Uh, and not so much, be, there's not so many people today. I think that it's interesting today. I think our parents and grandparents were more focused about leaving an estate and leaving something to the children. Uh, whereas baby boomers today are, are, they sort of gave it all for their kids to get them established, whether that was through education, whether that was helping them out with a down payment perhaps. And then what's sort of left over they feel is they're entitled to spend it now. They've, yeah. they've done their job and they're less intent on leaving a large estate. Um, and most people are comfortable if it was the house that was left over, for example, yeah. as an asset. But as Don just explained in that previous example, you yeah. know, how many people end up having to sell the house anyway to move into a retirement residence? Right. So that has to be factored in. How will that transition and when should that happen as well? And, and when you're <clears> looking <throat> at an estate for the kids, you do have to often look at too is what's the marriage like for the ones inheriting it? And it's great to have um, candid conversations with the kids when it's involved in the estate planning too because 
they don't want to see their estate that they saved. They sold their house yeah. to go to their daughter, and they end up with a divorce, and uh, half the money goes to a ex-son-in-law. Mm-hmm. So they, it's good to have not only the conversation with your spouse, but extend that next conversation with your kids. That's a very, and it is a very stressful thing because you, you, you worry about that exactly. And, um, you know, I think with proper education for the adult children, if, if they become clients of ours, so now it's sort of intergenerational, we're working together with both the, the parents, the, the, their children and the grandchildren, then you can educate them about how that money flows to them, what they need to do to protect it and be smart about receiving an inheritance. And uh, now you can't, you can't keep, you can't stop everybody from doing, yeah. making bad decisions. Yeah. And you can only hope that you've educated them properly. You've told them about the pros and cons of various decisions. And then you, at some point you have to let go and say, yeah. all right, it is what it is. But, um, but talking about that, are we going to leave money? Is legacy important to us? Is going to be an important factor in terms of determining how much money you're going to be spending and the lifestyle you're going to be leading in terms of retirement. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They'll get back to you. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. They will get back to you. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Check out the website, andyanddon.com as well. You can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well. All right, uh, bank troubles. Yeah, I don't know if anybody noticed that one of the major banks had their stock drop by almost 6% in one day. What happened? Well, they had a little article by CBC. CBC News uh, reported an article about the TD saying that some of the TD employees came through and they felt that they were had a ton of pressure oh, to do selling. a lot of selling. Yeah. And selling product over ethics yeah. is really what came down to. They said they literally had broken the law at the customer's expense in a desperate bid to meet sales targets to keep their jobs. And that was mm-hmm. the quote. Um, they said it was poison, stress-inducing, insane, and zero focus on ethics. And, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, the people that are working at the bank, I'm sure most of them, and I'm saying the large majority, like 99.9%, do not want to do this. No. In fact, my own assistant, who wasn't even, is not part of the TD Bank. She left that bank mm-hmm. that she was with because of the exact same kind of stress. It's funny you should say that because I remember talking to a lady who did one of our mortgages way back when, and this would have been 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. She since retired, and that was the reason she bailed was because she felt her role had gone from advising and trying to help to actually trying to sell product. Yeah, selling credit cards. Yeah. You know, that's not financial planning. Yeah. Creating more debt, increasing line of credits. Um, yeah. Getting bank accounts that have a $29.95 monthly fee mm-hmm. rather than offering the $3.95 one yeah. that they have. And I know personally, I, I've dealt, I still deal with the TD Bank. I've, actually, it was originally the permanent, to give you an idea, permanent oh to gosh, Canada the Trust permanent, yeah. and then eventually the TD. And, you know, I'm, I've been grandfathered with an account that if I kept over uh, $2,000, actually originally was 1000 I don't get charged any fees. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember them trying to get me into another one that they said would save me money. Yeah. And I said, well, I rarely drop under the threshold. I said, well, if you do, it's going to be very costly. Yeah. Well, it does happen the occasional time. They did bump it up in the last year to 2000 but the bottom line is it's never 
and twenty nine dollars ninety five cents. Yeah. And so these are they know exactly like they're trying to make it as sticky as possible. There's a lot of margin on this. This is free money for them. Mm-hmm. They realize that. And unfortunately, they're looking after the shareholders mm-hmm. rather than the customer. And you know they came under a lot of scrutiny. I know the the stock price bounced back up, mm-hmm. but again, even uh, you know as an example, they said she noticed a service charge of twenty nine ninety five, and when they she called the TD Bank about it and said, "Well, you got charged this because you didn't keep your five thousand dollar minimum balance." I said, "I never asked for that account." says, there's no way I would have asked for that account. And the bank just said, you must have asked for that account. And so things were basically, they're, they're giving them things that they probably didn't want. Yeah. I did have an appointment two weeks ago. And again, different bank. And they, had, they end up with a line of credit. They didn't even end up with what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Says, yeah, we end up with this uh, line of credit and it's at 6% or something. And it's not a large, it's like 25,000. And they didn't get what they were looking for originally. Mm-hmm. So... It's very interesting. Um, at the end of the day, you really got to be buyer beware. Um, most of the people are fantastic people. But I know we talked about this recently um, when I had two clients pass away last month and about going to their banks. And they wouldn't cash in the Canada Pension Plan Survivor unless they showed their investors group statements mm-hmm. because they noticed that investors group, their, their RIF payment was going into the account. Yeah. So they had to say, oh, we have to see your investors group statements before we can deposit that check. That is no, by any stretch of law, mm-hmm. it was simply a way that they wanted to f- see if they could transfer that money to their bank. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you really want to look at, are the, is the bank looking after your best interest? I don't really consider that even when you're looking at the teller level, I don't look at them as advisors anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> if you're looking at uh, financial advice, that's generally not where you're going to get it. You, right. you got to go up at least a couple levels from that. And you need to look at the big picture. So I know when Andy and I sit down, part of our, when we go through the cash flow analysis, one of the questions is actually bank fees. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did have one client that was paying a horrendous amount of bank fees because she never left the $1,000 uh, minimum. And she used the Instateller all the time. And she was over 100 and some odd dollars every month in bank fees. Wow. Wow. And I, so, okay. And the other trick is a lot of the times they'll end up with five different accounts instead of just having a, a joint account between the husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So instead of putting all the banks together under one account, you're paying a bunch of fees to five different accounts. That's a good point too. And so consolidating the bank accounts can save you a ton of money. Um, I know uh, there's an Obensman, um, he's looking at this and, he, and he's thinking it is further than simply the TD Bank. And I, I can guarantee you it is. It's uh, discussing, I had a client not long ago um, there's a lot of st- pressure to sell the tax-free savings accounts. Mm-hmm. And they never, in the cases I've come across, now they, I should not say never, but in the cases I get to see, they end up over-contributing because I've already maximized their tax-free yeah. savings account. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, well, you got this extra money in your bank account, you should put that in the tax-free savings account yeah. without ever asking the question, yeah. do you have any room left to mm-hmm. contribute? Yeah. So next thing you know, they put in $10,000, and it's a $100 per month penalty. Mm-hmm. So look at the big picture, sit down with your financial planner, make sure you, you have to be with a trusted advisor. At the end of the, end of the day, you need to be with somebody you trust so that they're looking after your best interests. And it may be with the bank. You may have a very good person at the bank because most of them are very good. But you do have to wonder, are they pushing product or are they looking after my best interests and my financial goals? 
All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, along with Andy Lister and Don Fox. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. Thanks. And of course, uh, if you want to find out more, just give them a call, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. I'll give it again. 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there or archive old shows. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a Thanks great again. week. Thanks, See you Scott. next week.